Unjustifiably destructive and oddly surreal examination into the film career of Charlie's Theron. Because in an attempt to avoid the topic of sexual abuse allegations in the cultural zeitgeist today, we avoided several movies and instead decided to watch The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which is about exactly that topic, which is somewhat distressing. So, do we have one certain reviews? Oh, I should probably introduce all the people that are on the podcast. Well, probably Who could it be? Who's, who is here today? Uh, my name is Bob Shields, and with me, as always, are Robin Hitchcock. Hello. And Regina Connolly. Hello. And do we have one certain reviews for The Life and Death of Peter Sellers? Ugh. <laughs> buh, 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 buh. Uh. Yeah, guys, wow, this movie. I feel like this might, this, we clearly stumbled upon the wrong movie to watch, mm-hmm. is one thing. In addition to Peter Sellers having been kind of a crap sack human, which I was not really aware of. Nope. We also read in the news today that Jeffrey Rush, the star of this movie, is also one of the all-male humans <laughs> present company excluded, (laughs) who are garbage and was accused of harassment at a stage production in Australia 10 years ago or five years ago or a few years ago, regardless. 21 months ago, inappropriate behavior much less than 10 years. I read the article, but in any case. He denies it. Whatever. Everyone's a monster. (laughs) Let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about this movie. So a quick plot summary is that this is a biopic. Also a question. Is it biopic or biopic? I've heard both. I say biopic. I also say biopic, but I think I used to say biopic. I think I used to say biopic, and then I was like, oh my god, this is like how I thought that epitome was different than the word epitome, and so then I I, I made a hard change, but I don't know. Anyway. Also, it's not biopic. It's HBO. This is an HBO movie. Yes, it is. Um, So this is- Or BBC, depending on where you're from. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. So, and it felt, it felt like a BBC production. It did, It yeah. felt so, and look, I say this with huge love in my heart for the BBC. I could talk for hours about what I think about the BBC, but no one's paying for that. No one's paying for this. But in any case, this <laughs> is a movie about Peter Sellers, and it opens with him uh, starting to achieve fame in a radio show that he had done uh, in real life. I think it's called The Goon Squad. The Goon Show. The Goon Show. Uh, I feel like they gave it a different name in the movie. But... I don't think that they did. Okay. No, I think it's but in any case, then we see him doing this thing, and I think we're meant to think that his production in this radio show is ridiculous and terrible and why would anyone want to do it but i was like that was some of the funnier moments of the entire movie i think it's supposed to show that he's the most talented of the people on that show okay and he feels unfulfilled by it i think it's supposed to be so that was also what i took away from the sequence 
Then there's a scene with like him and his parents and his wife and kids, and he's changing his daughter's nappy, and his mom is like, I didn't raise you to be That's a diaper. Fuck up like your father or a lazy, no good, get him. You go out there and become a star. And then he's like, he calls her by her first name. He calls he's her weirdly sexual with her. Yeah. He often talks about how he'd like to be married to her later. The movie. I feel like my problem with this movie, before I can even summarize it, is that within the first 15 minutes, it tells you everything that it thinks about Peter Sellers, where it's like, his mother made him this way, he's an arrogant asshole who doesn't know who he really is because he hides behind so many characters, and that is literally explained within 20 minutes, but it's over two hours of reiterating those facts, and nor do they just show you those facts, they just say repeatedly, the same things over and over. I agree. Uh, so uh, after he leaves his mom, uh, he goes to <coughs> audition and he tricks the agent into seeing him do a character because she was basically like, you're too ugly to be a movie star. And then we see him over time become a movie star. His marriage falls apart. He falls in love with Sophia Loren, weirdly, but nothing actually also, happens there. Unrequited. What, what bad casting. That I feel so sorry for that woman. Like the charge to be as beautiful and glamorous as Sophia Loren, mm. she was not up to the task. And yeah. she was a gorgeous woman. It's like casting <laughs> Helen of Troy. You just can't. You just can't do it. <laughs> and then later, in good casting, I guess to some extent, it's fine. She looks. She looks apart. Yeah. Eklund is our girl Charlize Theron and she is much younger than Peter Sellers they have a whirlwind romance and get married their relationship also falls apart unsurprisingly because mm-hmm. the movie repeatedly shows that he is a destructive child we see segments of his famous movies which include Doctor Strangelove and the Pink Panther series and it's so weird because it, it feels like if you ever watched the Gus Van Sant Psycho which I've, I have not <laughs> I have only watched parts of it thinking that maybe I could make it and it was just too weird that's what this is like because there are segments in the movie where it becomes surreal i think because it's like hey 60s and 70s right it it does like it technically does a pretty good job of like recreating the look of those old Mm -hmm. movies and like old super 8 footage there's a part where he's photographing charlie's through a black and white camera and it does a really good job of like imitating that 60s style of fashion photography yeah but the whole thing is just kind of it's trying to be kind of weirdly surreal and there's an element to those sections where it's like Jeffrey Rush then is suddenly playing another character. So the first time this happens is when he and his wife have a big fight. His first wife. His first wife. Emily so, Watson. So uh, he has announced to the family that he's in love with Sophia Loren and that he like plans to bone her. And then his first wife, Emily Watson, then has an affair with the decorator. And then we come back to the apartment and the entire thing is trash, like tantrum style. And then rather than just letting us take that in and make a decision about it, she walks in and says, you're just like a child. And then they have a fight. And she's basically like, I hate you, I'm leaving you, and she walks out. And then Jeffrey Rush, in her costume and with wig and makeup in character as the wife, like, re-edits the scene. Like, we see them, like, walk behind the set. We see some crew members. Yeah. And he basically, like, gives new lines to his wife so that she isn't saying that. Which I think is meant to demonstrate how Peter Sellers must have constantly rewritten people's reactions to him so that he was always getting approval. It was, like, I think it was meant to underscore this whole thesis statement that, like, he had no actual personality because he was existing in character all the time and so he had no actual reality because he felt like he could rewrite reality by playing a different character it didn't work for me it did not work the whole conceit there and it felt 
very dated mm-hmm. that felt to me I, I think it's interesting you're comparing it to like 60s stuff because I, I think that there's something to that but I yeah. very much felt like ah yes the early aughts or the mid aughts <laughs> uh, when television started to try harder like it just right. felt like early peak TV like we're doing something different guys it, it also felt to me like a very poor imitation of Something like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Which this is a rough contemporary with. I think it's the same year. Yeah. Like being John Malkovich. Right. Yeah, like that kind of like surreal uh, like interlude of like, uh, this is like a somewhat of a dream sequence, somewhat not, sometimes it's a memory, etc. It also felt- it's very stylized, like, so it's like, oh, this looks like home video. So a note is, I tried to find some reviews. This is a TV movie, so there's no Ebert, and I couldn't really find- any meaningful reviews? I did. Okay, okay I'm, I'm interested to hear about it. But this movie racked up some statues. Like, they won Best TV Movie at the Golden Globes, and I think at the Emmys. Jeffrey Rush won both of those, and the SAG Award. Charlize was nominated for all three. Like, this was well-acclaimed awards-wise. That's very interesting, because both the reviews that I read, The Guardian Review, uh, which has a bizarre paragraph about Metallica that I think is in there by accident, and it's like, like, it's talking about the movie, and then there's a paragraph that's like, Metallica, sometimes referred to as Alcoholica, and I was like, what are you talking about, Guardian? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but it was very critical, and one of the things it said that I was like, yeah, 100%. 100%. This is a movie about a comedic genius that is at no point funny at all. Like, it just has, it's so dull, and it lasts yeah. for two it's, hours. It's dull and miserable. I'll and tell also, you, I did laugh one time. Oh, yeah? At my Charlie Zenith. Oh, well, I can't wait to find out what that is. Okay. <laughs> but I also have to say, like, no offense to Jeffrey Rush, and this isn't in light of his inappropriate behavior allegations, but I was like, he doesn't have the charisma to make me understand why someone that the movie is portraying so negatively was so beloved and could get away with so much. Like, I'm just like, he just didn't, and none of his performances as Peter Sellers were charming enough to me to be like, to warrant the level of star that he was. So it felt... It just had that weird, like, oh, you're imitating... It just this, yeah. It just felt off. It and felt then, yeah. small. Another thing that yes. really bothered me about this film is they gave him a fake nose, and Peter Sellers had a pretty distinctive nose. Mm-hmm. They failed to give him the right <laughs> fake nose. If you're going to go through the trouble of putting a fake nose on Jeffrey Rush every morning, put the right nose on him. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. He finally started looking a little bit more like Peter Sellers when Peter Sellers got plastic surgery. Uh, when they changed yeah. his face to yeah. look like Peter Sellers' face after he had, he had surgery, then I was like, oh, now he's starting to look like it. Yeah. I mean, my biggest problem with the movie, besides its utter lack of charm from beginning to end, (laughs) uh, its inability to capture, like, why people would be interested in a star like this, is that there is no arc at any point. Like I said, like, they tell you their entire thesis statement. Not at all. You just have to watch the same litany of events over and over again. And the only character I think that is given a modicum of an arc is his storyline with Charlize, his second wife. Because when we meet his first wife, she's already beleaguered and annoyed with him. Yeah. uh, Because he's her third child. (laughs) And so the plot with Charlize, I think, is kind of interesting. But I also feel like even though there is an arc that they don't earn the, like, domestic violence part that comes out at the end. And there's a scene that I was just like, I hate this scene. I hate it so much. I don't care if it really happened. It just seemed so stupid. But he's in a bathroom taking a dump. And Charlize comes in to be like, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. 
And he's like, uh, I think you're going to have to have an abortion. Or so, or but before he even says that, like, you hear his poop hit the water. And I think we're supposed to think that that's hilarious. He makes a joke. Of, like, yeah. he, he says, like, splashy splash. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't I? Thumbs I didn't enjoy down. it. I agree. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Charlize. Can we talk about how good she looks in sixties makeup? Just gorgeous. Her costumes are out of this world. Her hair with that little uh, uh, headband. I was like, oh, the sixties. You I, looked good on South African and Swedish models. I love. I love that Charlize gets to be pretend Swedish all the time. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to say was. In for Saturday Night Live episode that we watched, they talked about like in the original version of the sketch, I sang a lot, and then each time, <laughs> each time it changed, I had less and less to say. She doesn't speak a lot. In she this does movie, not, and I'm pretty sure it's because girlfriend can't do accents. Yeah, I yeah. Made, I made that exact note. <laughs> <laughs> she like... barely talks. But the my Charlie Zenith is when they get married. In their wedding video, she goes, I love you, Pieta! (laughs) (laughs) And it just is hilarious. I don't care how bad and cartoonish her accent is, it's probably a little better than mine was just then. But it's just so, it's, I love Charlize being happy. Yeah. We get so little of it, it seems. That is true. That is true. And I think that she did sell, like, this Swedish bombshell falling in love with this much older, ugly British comedian that... I think that Britt Eklund genuinely did love Peter yeah. Sellers, and I think that she effectively sold that. I agree. Mm-hmm. Funny men, they get away with so much. What assholes. It's true. But yeah, but that is basically the plot of this movie, is that it's... the the, the I thought it was interesting is how the studio manipulated him uh, with, like, uh, Stephen Fry plays this delightful tarot card reader and fortune teller who is on the payroll of the studio to sort of manipulate stars into doing the contract that the studios want them to do. And I just thought it was interesting to see him like try and be not so obvious, but then at the end was like just doing the voice of his mum being like, do another Pink Panther. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he's trying to convince him to do another Pink Panther. So he's like, I'll tell him two letters. PP. No, that's too obvious. Yeah. BE for Blake Edwards, the director. But that's what leads Peter Sellers to notice Britt Eklund. Yes. Yes. I have no idea if that's a real story. I did find that moment kind of clever, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that element to it. But that was really the only part I thought was even remotely interesting about the whole story. It's it's told, for something that tries to be so absurd and, like, turn things on its ear in some kind of way, it's told in a very kind of plodding and linear way. I also, like, it... It seemed like it assumed some knowledge about Peter Sellers' career that I didn't actually have. It felt like it was made for people for whom Peter Sellers was, like, the big star when they grew up. Like, I have not seen the vast majority of his movies, but I do know that my uncles and my father would quote him incessantly growing up. So I feel like it felt like a movie made for fans in a way that I was like, I just don't think I can tap into the... And, like, a lot of the references in it, I was like, I don't know what that is. But I also feel like it would totally shatter your illusion of Peter Sellers. Exactly. It's made for people. It's like, so this guy who you love enough to know what we're talking about in all these scenes where we gloss over things, Mm -hmm. he's the worst. But it also felt like it was 
I it felt weirdly moralistic in a way. Like I felt like it was a movie whose premise was like fame is terrible and look at this awful person and what you should really want is like a simpler life like his father had but at the same time it's a movie that can't spend its time talking about anyone else in the entire movie universe or giving them any credit other than the main character so it felt like it was both like ah like fame and fortune isn't it the worst but it's also the only thing that it can go after so I don't know I just I don't like it I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) so a couple of the things that came up where I was like wait what One was I had no idea that David Niven was supposed to be the star of the Pink Panther. And like that was that was news to me because I'm not sure I ever like I know I've seen some of those movies. I don't know if I ever saw the actual first one. And that I saw them when I was a child. And then also I didn't know he was supposed to play an extra role in Dr. Strangelove. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that either. And which extra role? Uh, The bomber pilot. Oh, the guy at the end? Uh, yeah, well, the guy who's through it the whole time. He's the pilot who ends up whacking the bomb and writing it down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. What I also thought was interesting is that because they brought David Niven in at the beginning and he was... They did very good casting for the fake David Niven. Great, yeah. it was, he doesn't speak, but he looks just like him. But what I thought was interesting they missed out is that he was then, towards the end, was showed playing... Uh, he was trying to play James Bond And straight. they didn't deal with David Niven being we, in the same movie. Well, he, he David Niven replaced Peter Sellers in that movie. And Wait, they didn't what? Address it. Oh, because he left that movie. He left that movie, and David Niven. They're took... both in that movie. Casino Royale. Yeah, David Niven plays James Bond. Right, but Peter Sellers is also in that movie. He's. It's oh. like I have not seen that movie. Also, not since I was a child, since high school. Okay. Peter Sellers is in it. Okay. And there's like multiple James Bonds in it. It's oh, stupid. I think that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. But that would have been interesting. And also, right. it's I can totally see why you thought that that was what was going on. Right, yeah. Also, this movie feels like it's covering every fucking detail of his life. Like, what he had for breakfast for every morning. So why not but, talk about the things we actually care about? But also, like, he was married uh, four times, not twice. What so, are these other women? Yeah, not in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was... And I thought the ending, I was like, what are you doing? They also made him look like he was, like, 87 years old. Like, the, the first, like, three quarters of the movie covers a relatively short amount of time. And then in the last, like, half hour, it felt like he was just rapid aging and they were throwing And he was in his 50s in. when he died. He was, like, 54. Yeah. I mean, maybe he, lo- maybe he looked rough by the time he died, but this movie made it look like he lived well, to be 107. Uh, part of that might be because I think that they maybe put age makeup on him when he played Chance in being there. But also when he was standing in the snow for no reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, and they're just... Mm, mm. John Lithgow was in this movie, and he was delightful. He was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. Same here. He, he plays was. Blake Edwards, and that was the only like believable chemistry. Their working relationship, where they clearly love hate each other, mm-hmm. and like they have like and or the like codependent basically yep. was was convincingly portrayed. I feel like honestly, it was the only relationship that was portrayed where either actor seemed to be invested in it. Like, even though he had this weird sexual relationship and, like, dependent relationship on his mother, like, it just didn't read at all. Okay. It just To me, it always felt like, here's a line, Peg. Here's a line, son. But there wasn't really... There was never any tension between the two of them. They were always conveying to the audience the fact of their relationship, but you never saw them get anything from one another or try to need anything from one another. They were just sort of very flat. And I feel like his first wife also, like, they had conflict, but it was... It just... It didn't sing on screen. Yeah. But I feel like uh, his relationship with Blake Edwards... Like, the only scene I think I'll remember from this movie 
is at the premiere of one of the Pink Panther movies that he begrudgingly did. Um, everyone is celebrating the director and you can see that this pisses him off. So he goes up onto a balcony and is basically like, come on up here. I want to, you know, Hey, this is your night. And then he publicly humiliates him by like awful kidding on the square about how talentless and awful he is. And everyone sort of like slowly gets that he's not kidding. And it's very painful. And I feel like that's the only part of the movie that had any like emotional resonance. And, and that was more painful him. than him slapping it, like hitting Charlize. I was kind of like, okay, I guess this is what this is doing. But I don't remember exactly how it played out, but it was some like what John Lithgow said after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes, oh, because he, because Peter Sellers was hired to replace another actor. So he was like, oh, I knew we should have gotten that other there guy. There we go. Yeah, right. I off. remember being like, oh, good. Yay. Uh, like, mm-hmm. You win this scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to beat John Lithgow in a scene. I've seen I John also... Lithgow with uh, phone books taped to him <laughs> having a sword fight in a prison, and I'm still like, that guy can act. <laughs> I, not but, personally, he, he does that in a movie, guys. I don't have, like, an in with his phone book fighting routine. By the way, when I was I was watching this with Colin, who knows nothing about 60s cinema, and there's a scene where they're saying, his agent is saying, like, oh, they want you to come in and read for this part. It's a small part, and it's in the first Pink Panther. He's like, I won't take Ustinov's cast-offs. And his agent is like, you have to. And then he's like, I won a BAFTA. And then I was like, Peter Ustinov won two Oscars! And I, like, got, like, super self-righteous about it, and Colin was like, sweetheart? (laughs) Calm down. Calm down. Wait, so you were upset that he thought that his one BAFTA was worth more than someone else's two Oscars? Yes. Because Ra 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 America or because double awards? Both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just check. Just check. Yeah. <laughs> really, both. I just, I just yeah. wanted to know. It was hard to follow. I don't think that Peter Ustinov's an American actor. I don't know who he is. Oh. But that really doesn't mean much. <laughs> I'm going to look it up now. Who would uh, Keanu play? The decorator. See, I thought decorator as well. That was my. I just thought. want Emily Watson to have something nice. Yeah, that's yeah. true. She does deserve. Peter Ustinov is English. He is also a knight. Oh well. Yeah. Um, I was going to say he. I would like to Keanu to play Sophia Loren's husband. Oh. Uh, so that his stunning good looks then uh, just convince Peter Sellers to go away and not bother her. Okay. <laughs> I thought that the one scene where he was like, where Sophia Loren was like, when's your wife coming? And he's like, my wife isn't coming. I told her I'm in love with you. And she was like, go home. Yeah. Was, I, th- I thought that as much as I feel sorry for that actress for being cast in that role, I thought that she did a good job with mm. that. But yeah, like his delusional infatuation with Sophia Loren was another part that I was like, this is... I, I understand what's going on here, but it, the movie is not doing a good job of explaining it. Nope. <laughs> and they spent an awfully long time on it, considering they cut out two of his wives completely. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can you imagine being one of those other wives and watching 15 minutes of movie about some Italian actress who he never fucked? <laughs> <laughs> and probably being like, probably for the best. <laughs> I don't know. And that's, it's like, I always had, like, a vague desire to see Peter Sellers movies, given, like, my, you know, family being like, it's the best, and my interest in comedy generally. And it's like, now that I've watched this, I'm like, ugh, I don't know if I I, want to. But then I'm also like, how accurate a depiction is this? Like, I have no idea. I also, like, I just struggle with movies that, that sort of, like, live in this premise that to be a good 
actor, you have to be a hollow shell of a human being or a terrible asshole all the time. Yeah. Because, like, I respect it as an art and I care a lot about it, but I'm also like, it's a job and it's work. And I just, like, I don't know, not to be puritanical about it, but just do the fucking work. Like, just show up, do your movie, and then live your life. Like, I just, I don't know, the, <laughs> the way that's like, oh, he's so tortured for no reason. Yeah. Let's care so much about this for two plotting hours. I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, when I, I, because I saw a trailer of this when it came out, and I was like, oh, that looks good, because the trailer made it seem like it was going to be like a sort of slightly heartwarming movie about a guy who was very talented and beloved, but was ultimately kind of sad and lonely and didn't really know himself very well. Yeah. Uh, and I, and that's what I was looking forward to seeing. Cause I was like, oh, I hope that has like a fulfilling ending, and he gets some kind of solace at the end. But then it was just was him smashing his kids' toys and slapping people around and stuff, and I was like, this is awful. Like, he not- breaks his kids' toys <laughs> and then, instead of apologizing, waltzes in with a pony. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's been a while since I've seen a man-child portrayed with just such abandon. They were like, we're not even pretending that he's not a child. Right. Like, at some point, he actually, like, crawls into the closet and sits on the floor to cry and be comforted by his wife, mother. So I just had a horrible realization. We might see this movie someday about Robin Williams. I don't think so. I hope not. I mean... Like, you there, think that there, there will be a whoa, movie... Oh, there is a movie like this about Robin Williams. There you go. Starring... <laughs> what's the guy's name? Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, it, and it's really good. Is it? What? It's a TV movie. It stars... I'm going to fucking look it up. Hold Regina's making the face that we're all thinking, which is like, I, this is not possible. Really? I just... I mean, look, I love... <laughs> but I think that you were talking about, like, this is meant for people who have this built-in relationship with this actor. That's I true. think that the built-in relationship that they're expecting us to have with Peter Sellers is what I do have with Robin Williams. Okay. Yeah, and, like, I think that there is a... Like, the, a beloved comedic actor in particular is someone who, like, I think that people... Like, there's a fascination between someone who's, like, so joyful and funny on screen being so awful or someone who portrays uh like dramatic characters it's kind of like well you're used to thinking of them in those terms but yeah. there's a there's a, a wider gap between perception and reality from mm-hmm. the audience so there is a movie about robin williams starring chris diamantopoulos called behind the camera the unauthorized story of mork and mindy uh and it's pretty good but it also it shows how destructive robin williams was during his early career Took a lot of cocaine. It's uh, it's pretty grim in places. So this move, the movie that I was describing, apparently already, already exists. exists, and I've already seen it, and I forgot <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, it's actually very good. Far, okay. far better. That than makes me Peter feel Sellers. a little better. A little better. I don't know. Like, there's just something about this movie that felt like a VH1 behind the music. I mean, that's from the really 90s. Really, what it is? Where it's sort of like, hey, you think that everything's great about the celebrity's life, but don't worry, they're actually living through something super awful. But like, without, I don't know. Like, it just didn't. It didn't feel. It just felt like a TV movie. It that's really, really felt like a TV movie. And I have yet to answer who would Keanu be because I think it's. I found it really difficult because I, I other than. Uh, John Lithgow, I feel like the movie is full of forgettable people. Like, Stanley Tucci is in it as Stanley Kubrick, and what yeah. a fucking waste. He plays Stanley Kubrick like a normal guy. That's yeah. a take. Yeah. <laughs> he was just sort of like, I felt like he was auditioning and he hadn't gotten into role yet, and they were like, we'll just use this. I, I think I want to give Stanley Tucci the credit. I really respect him as an actor, and I want to give him the credit that he thought that it would be too trite 
right. to play Stanley, like to play Stanley Kubrick, like a kook. But this is a movie that has <laughs> Jeffrey Rush like doing famous impressions of famous bits. You can't then have Stanley Kubrick in there not as an impression of Stanley Kubrick, a caricature person. Yeah, in my true. opinion, yeah, so that was very I was annoying. Re- like it was so weird because like I didn't know he was supposed to be Stanley Kubrick because he's offering yeah. him a role. He doesn't look like Stanley Kubrick exactly. at all. Also, that doesn't sound like him. And then, sound like he's from the Bronx. And then he says, "Like, well, what role would I play?" And he says, "All of them." And I go, "Wait a second. And I pulled up by him. I'm like, "That was just a normal guy." So I think, belatedly, that I'm going to cast old Keanu, who we've yet to meet in the real world, as the father. Elderly oh. Keanu. Elderly Keanu. <laughs> future Keanu. Future Keanu in present day, as in this terrible movie. Okay, so um, future Keanu transported back to, what is this movie from, 2006? Something like that. 2000, ooh, oh, goodness. Ooh, I've got another option. Just as a backup option, like, that's my real answer, but another fun option would be, at some point they recreate a moment from the movie Being There, where he walks out into a pond and doesn't sink, and I would have Keanu's face be the pond. Because <laughs> it's a surreal, weird movie well, anyway. Well, I don't know what I'm photoshopping. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I did enjoy being reminded of how that was the yeah. end of Charlize's run on Arrested Development, was a reference to the end of Being There, which I had completely forgotten uh speaking of past charlie's movies did yes. you have a recent example of yes. why this podcast is important to you yes i did my friends on sunday night i was attempting to make a show that i was never going to make i was running through the airport sprinting through the airport like people do in the movies and i sprinted through the cold air across the parking lot to the extended parking and around 50 yards from my car i doubled over and i was unable to catch my breath and i was breathing like this and I managed to get in the car and I was like coughing and just not catching my breath and Colin was like what's wrong with you and eventually I was like I think maybe this is an asthma attack and so he's like are you going to urgent care and I'm like no this is nonsense let me google asthma first aid no inhaler and the first thing that came up was drink some hot coffee (laughs) which I should have remembered from trapped (laughs) and sure enough we got me a cup of hot coffee and it really did help me breathe that movie is not as ridiculous as it seems that's right so i did have to use the internet but i can now tell you that there is something in trapped that is not completely nonsensical so we can add to the advice shoot kevin bacon and drink some coffee (laughs) if you're having an asthma attack and don't have an inhaler and Kevin Bacon is kidnapping your child. Otherwise, leave him alone, guys. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Would the life and death of Peter Sellers be improved by a prison riot? So I was thinking, I, it's not really that kind of movie. No. So I don't think it fits in. However, given the absurdity of some of the scenes, I would have totally, totally loved to have seen a prison pie fight, much like in Doctor Strangelove. Oh, that's a great idea. I would have, uh, it wouldn't necessarily fit, but this movie shoehorned in a lot of things that don't fit. But if there had been, like, a Johnny Cash style, like, the prison was screening a movie and they were all excited to see it, <laughs> Riot, they were like, get us to the film house to see Dr. Strangelove or whatever. That could have improved it. Yep. Those are both great answers. I was just going to say that I would have enjoyed if I had just changed channels in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And a prison riot was on the screen completely disconnected. I don't care what scene in the movie I missed. Mm-hmm. If I missed the best scene in the movie, if I missed, 
I love you, Peter. <laughs> I would still like the movie more because I watched a prison riot during part of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is not very good. This is a movie, this is rare for me, because it's been a long time since I've watched a movie on television with commercial breaks, but I'm kind of like, I could have gone for some fucking commercial breaks. (laughs) It was long. (laughs) A thing I never say. It was so long. Unfortunately, it was only on HBO and the BBC, neither of which have commercials. That's right. (laughs) So what were your Charlize Zeniths? I don't know if, I think probably when she was being photographed in the black and white 60s style. Okay. I think that because that's the only part that I really remember that sticks out. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean and she does she does a very good like sultry like three quarters angle to the camera. And I was like, yep, you look exactly like a model from the sixties. Uh I will say I also struggled to think of something. And I think like when she was like worried when his like heart stopped after they had coke sex that um oh, yeah. that maybe like that would be a good Charlie Zenith where she's like going between the payphone and the and the door being like, Is he dead? I don't know. But eh, I I've I've seen her cry better. Yes. So that can't be a Zenith. So I think the Zenith might be when he's weirdly proposing to her by having a band in their house, allegedly. And then the camera like cuts to her being like sort of delighted, but I think you will see her be like is this really what I want to do? <laughs> like, maybe I'm reading into it, but I feel like you see her hesitation and ultimate capitulation. Like, this is really weird because I think they had only been dating uh, for a very short time. Right. Like three weeks. And he's, you know, 20 years older than her and an ugly British man. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of handsome. Okay. <laughs> the glasses really do it for her. Mavis has a lot of feelings on this episode. I hope that some of that is getting picked up on Mike because Mavis is being so cute. At some point she was on my lap and I thought maybe I would sound nicer for a few minutes, but... (laughs) Do you think that if we had been more familiar with Peter Sellers or if if this was about Robin Williams that it would have landed differently with us? Honestly, I think I might like it even less. Yeah. Because the awkwardness of watching, like, I really, really hated the parts when it was like, here he is doing that famous scene from Dr. Oh, Strangelove. I hated right. those like, moments. It was so awkward. And like, I, I've seen what? Dr. Strangelove a couple times, but it's not like emblazoned on my soul the way that other... I... Yeah, there's, there's a part where he's on a plane and he's doing Inspector Clouseau to the, the flight uh, attendant. And I'm like, just stop. Just it's stop. Gross. It's horrible. Yeah, it's just gross. Stop it. Like, there's just something... It's not funny and charming. There's something about seeing someone else do someone's comedy that that person is famous for that just feels antithetical to me anyway like it just I, it just feels like someone getting up on stage and like doing an impression of someone else's comedy right so i'm so in movies where they have the opportunity of like someone doing an impression of someone why not just use the actual footage in those moments like when we're seeing clips of dr Strangelove, oh, i think it's like a uncanny valley yeah thing. it's for consistency i think i don't know i feel like if you're gonna make a movie where you have Jeffrey Rush jumping into his mother's coffin as his mother that like you can afford to find a different way to do it that could work around. Yeah, that's true. If if it were for consistency's reason that he would be playing his mother the whole time. You're right. I still think it would be weird. I understand, like, I think, and it's just, I think because the convention is too ingrained in me, Hmm. I think that if this was the first biopic you Hmm. ever saw and it did it that way, then... You would be cool with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
I feel like there are instances where it's it's needed for the character to to do the subject's work. Like, I don't see a lot of singing biopics, but I feel like that makes more sense to yeah. me. But when we're talking about, like, a movie star and we're... There was no reason for us to see him on set. It wasn't, like, telling a story about filming. It was literally just showing us a clip of a movie with which we're familiar that that seems perfectly framed and suited to just use it or don't include it. Yeah, I um, still I still think it would be like every time they showed it, it would be like, this is who this is not. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? I guess. I'm trying to think of other instances of it. It also might be partially because Jeffrey, watch, Jeffrey Rush wants to show off his ability to do accents. I'm sure. I, I think 100% that Jeffrey Rush was like, oh, cool, I get to... Yeah, play these iconic roles, and and yeah. I, I'm sure that this was a field day for him. It's yeah. interesting because I don't think I have the same reaction to non-comedic biopics, but I don't like I don't know if it's just like people stealing jokes, just being a thing where I'm like, just you can perform that as well as the person who originated it. I don't yeah. know if that's the the sticking point for me. I also never saw Man on the Moon, and I wonder if that was similar. I, to oh this. my gosh, it's so funny because right after we decided this was going to be our movie, <laughs> I was at the airport bar eating my salad, and there was something on the TV about Jim Carrey, and they were showing clips from. Man on the Moon. There's a new Netflix thing that Jim Carrey is doing about Andy Kaufman. So that was on the TV at the airport bar. Yeah. And (laughs) I believe that Danny DeVito played Danny DeVito in Man on the Moon. Is that correct? Oh. I would, I would, that would be weird. I would that would be it. weird. That was the thing that I was perceiving really? from that silently was, watching this Netflix thing. That, I think that, that, that would, would make be, sense, though. But it would be time inappropriate. Like exactly. Would, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I think that's but kind of I, charming. It was this when I saw that, and I was like, "Wait, did Danny DeVito play Danny DeVito?" I was like, "I am interest. I am suddenly reinterested in watching Man on the Moon." Yeah, this is another movie that I have I meant to watch but never got around to watching. Uh, Danny DeVito, no, Danny DeVito plays George Shapiro. Oh, see, now that's just weird. Then who and, plays Danny DeVito? That's uh, kind of fun, though. Like, I but like then George they... Shapiro is also in it, playing someone else. Okay, well, if they're doing some kind of wacky nesting doll thing, then maybe I can go for that. We'll have to watch it to know. Okay. No, I'm unlikely I, to do that. I would like to, because that's another movie that when it came out, I was like, I'd like to see that, but I never got around to it. I really, really loved Taxi. As a yes. child. So, like, they had early morning reruns of Taxi, and I was obsessed with it. So that's, and, like, literally, that's my only touch point for Andy Kaufman. That was part of the reason I didn't watch the movie. So I was like, I don't think I understand this person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a question. I have a forum question. Okay. So my theory of Charlize doing this movie is that she had just won her Oscar, and she's like, all right, cool, I'm egotting. <laughs> Time to get that Emmy. <laughs> oh, maybe. So, what would you like to see Charlize do on television? Ooh. Like, what's a show that's currently on television that I would want her to guest star on? Uh, sure. Or, like, do I want to do I want her to take the Denzel route and, like, direct an episode of Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay, yeah. She could do something like, uh, if she was on Westworld, she could be like, she's the prototype most perfect host. There you go. Yeah, she actually did produce a Netflix TV show called Girl Boss. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Oh, I would put Charlie's in Sense8 because that is a TV show full of stupidly attractive people and it will be fun to watch. You're going do. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Have you seen it? I actually have not seen uh, it. It's, it's so good. It's so good. Anyway. Other leading questions we could ask about this movie. 
Charlize's performance in this movie. We've talked about our zeniths. Anything else? I think mean, she was convincing enough. Like you said, like her dialogue is limited down to very few things. Single syllable lines, yeah. basically. I think they spent right. more time photographing her than giving her lines. Yeah, right. And when she was in the movie, that scene was weird. Oh God. Where, like, their oh, baby yeah. started crying, and then he was like, you're fired, and you can't act! And then her wig was off, and then she was like, meh, the baby's fine, but also four. <laughs> that was an old-looking baby. <laughs> really don't like when babies look old. Yeah, you just use a real baby or don't have a baby on there. Okay, um, guys. Uh, just, just ranking. Oh, boy. I'm gonna need to pull it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, here's the thing. I did not enjoy this movie at all. I don't think I'm going to rank it as low as it might sound like I want to. Same here, yeah. Because, like, it's not... It's just joyless. It's it's not poor... It's, I mean, it's not well done. They made mistakes. It so, didn't... <laughs> there are lots of very good elements to it. Like... Yeah. Jeffrey Rush, for the most part, is... Does a fine job. He doesn't... He's not as magnetic as he should... Uh, his impressions are a little uncanny, but you know he as as good as a Peter Sellers impression from a famous actor is likely to be. He's not funny. He's never funny in a movie about someone who's famously funny. How can you make a movie about a comedian that isn't funny? What's wrong with you? I mean, I think you can actively choose to do that. I don't think. That they did. I think that they wanted this movie to be funny. Like, the whole Stephen Fry thing. Like, they definitely yep. were trying to make you laugh. Yep. But not regularly. Yep. Alright, here's my ranking. I was going to put this between Eon Flux and Trapped. But because Trapped, in a way, saved my life earlier this week. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to put this just below Trapped, just above The Huntsman Winter's War. So I, I rank mine very similar to yours. Like, mine is near uh, Huntsman Winter's War. I yeah. don't know what gravitates it towards that. But uh, but I think my whole area, my area between Huntsman Winter's War and Eon Flux is just kind of a mash. Like, yeah. Like, there isn't really any kind of logical ordering between those. It's uh, like movies that mean well. <laughs> yeah, movies that are, are have some technical proficiency, but are <laughs> flops and failures. Right. Um, so for me, I've put mine, uh, mine is just below Head in the Clouds and one above 15 minutes. Uh, mostly it's really 15 minutes for reprehensible subject matter, uh, but has better performances than Ed Burns. And for me, strictly because I thought for a good solid moment, I was like, are we watching another 15 minutes? Are we watching another movie that oh, has yeah. one fucking oh, second? No. She's only the least. last 50% of it. She's she's not in it very much at all. And she doesn't come in for a solid like, hour and 20 minutes. We do have a couple minutes. more of those coming. You know? I know, but okay. it's different if I'm prepared for it. We were over an hour in and I was like, where's my girl and why am I watching this? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so for those reasons, I am going to put this, even though I think her performance in Head in the Clouds is terrible. <laughs> She's in it all the time. So I'm going I still to... love Head of the Clouds. I know you do. That's because your head's in the fucking clouds. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I actually, I think this might pit Head in the Clouds, because that movie was even longer. 
No, no, no. You know what? I would watch Head in the Clouds before I would watch this movie again. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Thank God. For sure, yeah. So I'm going to put this below Head in the Clouds and above The Last Face. So uh, Head in the Clouds is apparently my threshold for movies I would, under some circumstance, watch again. <laughs> <laughs> movies you would not actively veto. I might try to veto them, but I would ultimately acquiesce. Whereas the movies <laughs> at the bottom, no, 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 no. Although, with one uh, exception, Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, you're a terrible movie. I would watch you again for funny reasons. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for your patience uh, with our two-week <laughs> hiatus, but some people get sick in this time of year. It happens. It just happens. Thank you to Robin Elaine Hitchcock right across from me for creating the greatest Photoshop I've ever seen. If you have not been to At Charlie's The Ronathon, please take a look at our Freedom From Want and don't be fooled by how good it is. That is, in fact, Rade Strabegia right in the front there. <laughs> Which I had to go and Google the painting. I was like, am I wrong? Am I saying that's Rade and it's actually just the person in the painting and I forget what it looks like? It's him, guys. It's, it's a very good source photo. Really, the whole Photoshop game is the source photo. What? What is that from? It's a picture of him on a boat. But like... <laughs> The opposite of turkey dinner with your family. Yeah. <laughs> from a movie or from Living Life? I'm pretty sure it's from Living Life. Yeah. <laughs> Rade, we love you so much. Keep living your life. He's oh, so yeah. precious. He's such a sweet little baby. Oh, just <laughs> friends, countrymen. Rade Trebedia. <laughs> oh, he's so good. All right. Well, we'll see in 2018. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, we will be back next week unless another one of us gets up leg. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks to Alex Reed for our amazing theme song. It's so good. And most of all, thank, thank you, Charlies. Only under certain circumstances should you shoot Kevin Bacon. <laughs> right. Wait, I think we need to make that, that very game. clear. <laughs> Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, and under what circumstances can he be shot in your home? Were there any circumstances in the life and death of Peter Sellers under which you should shoot Kevin Bacon? <laughs> mm, mm, let uh, me see.